Hello again, and welcome to this edition of Wait a Week Mystery. I'm your host, author J.C. Bodden. Uh, in this week's podcast, I'll be sharing with you a chapter from my novel, Someone to Watch Over Me, which is copyrighted in 2007. It's the first in the Devlin O'Quinn mystery series, and it tells the story of Devlin's daughter, Jenny, who's taking a job on campus as a resident advisor while she's working on her master's degree. If you like what you hear and can't wait a week for the next installment, Someone to Watch Over Me, as, other, as well as the other three books in the Devlin O'Quinn series, is available in both Kindle and paperback format from Amazon. So go ahead and check out my website, jcbodden.com. That's J-C-B-O-D-D-E-N.com for more information, and you'll find the link to my Amazon page. Now let's not wait any longer. Here we go with episode 109, Someone to Watch Over Me, Chapter 9, Long Night. Jenny's Story I went back to my apartment, reluctant to call Carrie Wagner, but knowing I needed to. I peeled off my running clothes and winced at how sweaty I was, suddenly sure that Carrie Wagner had most definitely not been hitting on me, regardless of what everyone downstairs seemed to think. I turned on the water and stepped in the shower. As the water ran, I tried to let my mind go completely blank, but irritating Carrie Wagner was all I saw. Strong chin, dimples, brown eyes skimming me from head to toe. After a few minutes of steaming, I turned off the water and reached for the towel. On the floor, in the corner of the shower stall, was another small pile of white dust. Surprised it hadn't been rinsed away by the water, I rubbed my finger through it. It had a familiar, chalky feeling, the same as the other morning. After rubbing it between my finger and thumb for a moment, I wiped it up, unable to place it. After I got dressed, I called Wagner's cell number. He didn't answer, and I left a message telling him that some items had been reported missing and asked him to call me back. I wondered if Wagner would take the complaint seriously or if he would think I had just called to talk to him. Considering his ego, I feared it would be the latter. But I had to study for midterm exams, so I pushed those thoughts out of my head and headed to the library. The dorm weirdness would have to wait for a while. After a quick cafeteria meal, I found a quiet corner in the back of the library and spread my notebooks on the table. This was the part of college I liked the best, although I would never openly admit it. The quiet, muffled sounds of the library, the other students talking in whispers. On some level, I even loved studying, learning material so that I could prove myself on my exams. I worked for the rest of the afternoon and early evening. My concentration was broken by voices echoing in the staircase, and I realized how late it was. I packed up my books, and as I walked past the long row of shelves, I thought I saw someone walking on the opposite end. When I glanced up, no one was there. At the end of the next row, I had the same sensation. Someone was walking on the opposite end of the bookcase, in the same direction as me. At the end of the stacks, I realized that I had been seeing my own image in the tall windows, darkened now and reflecting the harsh light from inside the library. Outside, the air had cooled and the campus was dark. I stretched and rubbed my eyes, trying to forget the creepy feeling of being watched. I heard a loud scream. Two people were struggling on the sidewalk about fifty yards in front of me. Hey! I yelled as I fumbled for my phone. I stepped closer and called out again. Hey! One person fell. The other turned toward me. My heart leapt into my throat as I realized I was possibly in danger. But after a moment, the assailant ran in the opposite direction. I rushed to the young woman lying on the ground, a backpack and its contents scattered around her. Are you okay? I knelt at her head. 
She didn't move, and I saw a dark stain just above her belt, rapidly spreading. I stood and tried desperately to control my fingers enough to dial 911. I need help. A girl's been attacked. She's bleeding. I'm on campus on the quad, in front of the library. Send the police. Send an ambulance. Footsteps rushed up behind me. Terrified that the attacker had returned, I straightened both my arms, fists together, and whirled to standing, making solid can contact with his midsection. Helplessly, I watched as my phone flew out of my hand and landed on the sidewalk, bursting apart. Oof! The man's breath rushed out as he doubled over. I straightened and took up a defensive stance, feet planted, knees flexed, fists up on either side of my head, just as Dad had drilled into me, ready for his attack. But it didn't come. Instead, he put one hand on his knee and raised the other, palm out, as he took a deep, shaky breath and angled his head toward me. Joe? He said nothing, only nodded, then turned and spat on the ground and pushed himself to his feet. Sorry, cop's daughter. Are you okay? He turned back to me and wiped the back of his hand across his mouth, then looked at the young woman on the ground. Did you call 911? I nodded, but he was already stripping down to his white undershirt. He dropped to his knees and firmly pressed his shirt against the wound in the girl's abdomen. Pressure to stop the bleeding, he muttered to himself. His eyes sought mine. You called 911? He repeated, and I nodded, this time making sure he saw me. His eyes traveled to the ground where my phone lay in pieces, then back to my face. You're okay? He didn't hurt you. I knelt on the other side of the girl. No, I'm fine. He didn't. I had just come out of the library, and I saw the attack. Tack, I, I, I thought, I mean, when you ran up, I didn't know it was you. I thought you were... One corner of his mouth was twitching. You've got a good swing. Years of softball. She stirred. What happened? I took her hand. It's going to be okay. The police are on the way. You're going to be okay. The siren wails in the distance brought a wave of relief. Moments later, two paramedics jogged to where we were kneeling. We backed away and watched them work. After she was on the stretcher, one of them pushed it toward the ambulance, and the other turned to us. Do either of you need help? Are either of you hurt? Travis? Joe said. The paramedic stared at Joe and then burst into a huge grin. Joe? Wow, how are you, man? Tilly told me you were back in town. The two were suddenly smiling, pounding each other on the back, shaking hands. Jenny, remember Travis? We were at Twin Oaks together. Joe looked at me, still smiling. Of course I knew Travis. He had grown up with Aunt Tilly and Uncle Mickey. His familiar grin made me feel a whole lot better. Hey, Travis. Suddenly, Joe's face grew serious again. He looked over Travis's shoulder to the waiting ambulance. You've got to go. Sure you're both okay? There's a lot of blood here. No, we're good. Go on. Take care of her. The driver had secured the stretcher in the back of the ambulance and called urgently. Travis, come on, man. Coming, Travis answered. He turned back to us. See y'all soon. Joe's Story It was one of those late nights, when everything was almost unnaturally still, that the child rose from his bed and tiptoed down the stairs. His years of crawling through the attic had trained him well, and he managed to get outside without waking anyone, even Travis. Behind the house was a tool shed and workroom where his foster father spent much of his time during the day. It was here that he worked for Twin Oaks Farm as handyman, making small repairs and storing the tools and equipment needed for maintenance. The boy had glimpsed in the doorway on occasion, and had once even been allowed inside when his foster mother had sent him out with a glass of iced tea for her husband. 
Tonight the shed drew the child irresistibly. The door was unlocked, but even he could hear the loud squeak as he pulled it open. He froze and stared nervously at the window of his foster parent's bedroom, waiting for a light to come on. After several minutes with no reaction, he felt bold enough to go inside. As his eyes adjusted to the dim light, he looked around. He was fascinated by all the tools, gently gleaming, hanging from their pegs on the wooden board behind the workbench. The bench itself was strewn with the bits and pieces of a lawnmower. Curious, the child sat on the stool and examined each piece, working up his courage to actually pick them up and turn them over in his hands. Slowly, he began to fit the pieces together. He could see that this one must go like so against that one. He became completely absorbed in his work, reassembling the machine, taking tools from the pegboard as he needed them. It was as if a light bulb had been turned on in his young brain, and he knew exactly what to do. There was no confusion, no hesitation, and without really planning to, he rebuilt the entire lawnmower. As he sat back on the hard stool to admire his work, he noticed for the first time how light it had gotten outside. He jumped up, realizing that dawn had come, and that soon he would be missed from his bed. The stool tipped over at his motion, and he bent to catch it. This was when he noticed the feet of his foster father standing in the doorway of the shed. The child froze in place, his head down, and his eyes on those shoes. As they stepped closer to him, he closed his eyes and waited for the smack he was sure would come. But no smack came. He looked up in time to see the man pushing his ever-present ball cap back on his head. You did this all by yourself? There was no anger in the man's face, only amazement. The boy looked from his foster father to the mower and then back down to the tops of his shoes. His foster father whistled. He leaned down to catch the boy's eye. You better go in and get yourself cleaned up for breakfast. Run on now. The child obeyed. So that's the end of this week's chapter of Someone to Watch Over Me. Thanks for listening. To find out what happens next, please come back for episode 110 of Wait a Week Mystery or visit jcbodden.com to order the book. Either way, I hope your wait is a happy one.